Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Today's scripture comes from, from Mark 9, 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed, me, robbed him of his speech. Whenever he seizes, whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out, drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus said, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out and out of him and never enter him again. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But then, but then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor here. It's great to have you here. We have a little bit more people on this side. This little lopsided room reminds me of my wedding ceremony. My in-laws, friends, my family friends. Few, but you're cherished. I want you to know that. Uh, well, spring is finally upon us, friends. Doesn't it feel like it? Does it feel like spring is here already? I know that spring doesn't officially begin till March 20th, but look around Grass is turning green. Faucet covers are coming back into the garage. Sleeveless shirts are coming back out. This is the best time of the year, right? Well, for the church, we are officially in springtime. And the reason why I can say that is that we have entered into the season called Lent, which Lent literally just means springtime. And uh, there are some in the larger church family who break up a year into different seasons. You maybe have heard of the seasons called like Advent and things like that. We entered into the season of Lent this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday when we gathered together. It's, Ash Wednesday is a threshold we walk through to enter into this different cadence, this different rhythm. And each of these seasons have different themes or meanings to us. And so here we are in the season of Lent. 
Lent's a wor- weird wor- uh, word. It's so weird I can't even say it. Um, when you hear the word Lent, I'm curious what you think of. Does anyone think of that substance that sometimes you find in your belly button? Anyone? <laughs> me, me neither. Me neither. Although I do have a great uh, name for my, my bowling team this, uh, this Thursday night for the men's night. I was thinking of the Lent Rollers. No, never mind. This, I call dibs. I call dibs on it. No one else can have it, all right? If the different seasons of the year have different themes or meanings, what does the season of Lent teach us? What is the theme of this time that we're in together? Well, Lent is a time where we learn to be really, really honest. Honest with ourselves, honest with our humble self-reflection, This is a time where we hear this invitation from God, this idea of returning to God. As we read even in Joel on our Ash Wednesday service, we actually read this passage that is the theme for Lent for for many communities, which is, in Joel's words, this invitation from God to return to me. This beautiful invitation. Another way of saying it is, this is a time where we get to come home again to come home to God with our true and honest self. And what we realize is that this type of returning is less about geography and it's more about the people that we're becoming. This, as springtime is a time where growth begins to take place, as springtime is a time where fruit begins to emerge, in our life we are, we're confronted with this question of who are we growing into? What is the fruit that's emerging from our life? And Lent is the season where we come to know that and look at that with much more honesty. Because this idea of returning to God, returning to ourselves, are actually linked up. This makes me think of a beautiful quote by this Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. He once said, There is only one problem on which all of my existence, my peace, my happiness depends. To discover myself in discovering God If I find God, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find God. This is the paradox of the spiritual life. All of our problems are wrapped up into one singular thing that's actually two. It's a journey of discovering who is God. And as a part of that, who who am I truly in this world? I think what Merton would say is there's no way for us to truly know who God is without truly understanding who we are. It's a journey of self-discovery. But if we truly want to find ourselves, the only way in which we could do that is in this journey of knowing the one who created us and saves us and sustains our life. This is the paradox of the spiritual life. I think this is what Paul was seeking to explain when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said this, now, where the Spirit, uh, now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God's presence is about making us free, delivering us, setting us free for what? And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, or another word for that is reflect, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing incre- glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that we are finally set free to be unveiled, to be people who are released to be truly who we are. But notice what they're released to be, people who reflect Jesus. I love the way that Eugene Peterson transcribed this section in his, uh, in his version of the Bible called The Message. 
He said this, nothing between us and God, our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah and our lives gradually, step by step, becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Do you notice that beautiful paradox taking place? In finding God, we are unveiled, and being unveiled, we gradually become ourselves, and we become like Jesus. Friends, God wants you to shine. God wants you to be set free, to discover who you truly are, and to reflect God's goodness in this world, to become brighter and more beautiful step by step as we become like him. Does that stir you, this idea of discovering who you are, being a brighter, more truer version of yourself? We're going to spend this season considering how a life of following and knowing Jesus actually leads us into growing more and more into Christ's likeness, primarily in two different characteristics. And the word of the day, by the way, is paradox. Um, just so y'all know, these two characteristics seem to be um, pinned against each other, but what we'll find is there's something beautiful in the tension of them. And what are these two different characteristics? They are weakness and strength. By that I mean when people live with Jesus, they grow to understand their weakness. They actually befriend their weakness. They are honest with their failures, and they're marked with this humble this humble pursuit of being dependent upon God. These are people, people who've embraced weakness, are those who have befriended vulnerability. Who loves that idea of being vulnerable? Nobody, right? While at the same time, their life is marked by a certain type of strength. Relying on God, these people walk with courage and boldness. You see these two different characteristics, weakness and strength, when they are lived by themselves, it can lead to despair, it can lead to sorrow, or it can lead towards exploiting people with a certain kind of power that's not rooted in Jesus. But when they are held together, we become, we become people that we were created to be. We become slowly, gradually, more and more like Jesus, become brighter one step at a time. The genesis for this conversation came from me about five years ago. I had a conversation with a uh, Christian author by the name of Andy Crouch. I was on retreat at Lady Lodge. Anyone? Woop, woop, Lady Lodge? Okay, so I was out there on retreat, and he was speaking, Andy Crouch was, and almost as an aside, he began talking about these two different identities that are essential to a life with Jesus, weakness and strength. But the words that he used were words like this. Instead of strength, he used the word Authority. Does anyone have an issue with the word authority? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us do. You're not alone with that. Um, but this is how Andy Crouch would define authority. He would say authority is the capacity to create meaningful change. Authority in like the Jesus-centered sense is not the power to lord your authority over other people, not a domineering type of personality, but it's one that you can bring about meaningful change in this world to bring about mercy and justice and deliverance and hope. These are all fruits of a life with Jesus. These are all parts of Jesus' kingdom breaking into this world, and it's done through power, through authority. You'll actually hear oftentimes 
Jesus will send out his disciples with what? Authority. Meanwhile, the second characteristic, weakness, um, Andy Crouch, he used the word, to have weakness, he used the word vulnerability, which, I mean, Brene Brown has made a whole career on exploring how we dislike the word vulnerability, right? You know, I remember hearing that when he began talking about that word vulnerability on this retreat setting and thinking, this is the reason why none of these men wanted to come on this retreat is this very word vulnerability. We didn't want to go out to retreat and be made vulnerable in a group setting. And I know it's not just men too. I think all of us as people, we, we, we have this reaction towards being vulnerable. We, we desire to escape it, to guard up, to be armored up from places where we feel weak. But the way that Crouch would describe uh, this word vulnerability, he would say this. He said, vulnerability is the capacity to be wounded. And we know the human experience is the reality that we are woundable by our very nature. Even Ash Wednesday, what we talked about on Wednesday, was this whole service around how vulnerable and woundable we are as people. That our dreams are fragile. Our bodies are fragile. We are vulnerable people. And a big part of this life seems to be forging ways to find escapes from being vulnerable. We armor up, we hide, we cover, we protect, and we control as much as we can. But following Jesus means that we are led into this narrow gate that actually has on the other side of it a life that is flourishing. And the narrow gate for us in this season of Lent is the gate of weakness and of strength. I'd like to invite my friend Scott Erickson up here. Scott and I are going to co-teach the series. We're going to take turns leading different elements of it. And uh, I hope you guys are going to be encouraged by Scott's uh, presence. He's a good friend of mine. He's a friend of our church. And he's going to help us as we explore weakness and strength today. Would you all welcome Scott, please? Oh, thanks. There we go. Great. I mean, don't clap yet. You don't know what's going to happen. Um... Uh, my name is Scott, yes, and uh, I make my living as, a, as an artist, uh, which most of you have no idea what that means. Um, it means I'm uh, mostly been poor, so I'm very spiritual. Um, but uh, I think a lot about the images that are associated with the words we use. And so this morning, as uh, to kind of uh, kick off, segue between Mark and I's talk, I want us to look at some art, because we're starting to talk about paradox. Um, so we have a slide, next slide. So, we're, so I want us to look at a few pieces of art. Now, when you're in a group setting like a church and the speaker asks for audience participation, most of us in our heads are like, oh no, I don't want to talk about the Bible publicly. You know, I don't want to say anything about faith or God because I have questions. This isn't what we're doing. This is like an art class. All right. I used to be an art teacher. So we're in an art class right now and uh, we're going to look at some art and we're just going to talk about what's happening in this art piece. This is a piece by Andrew Goldsworthy who works with natural objects and items. Um, but I want us to look at this art piece through the frame of a paradox. Paradox is, se is seemingly two opposing truths existing at the same time. So what do you see in this piece of art here? Uh, there's no right or wrong answers. That's the beauty of art class. Uh, uh, what do you see? What kind of paradox is represented here? Death and life. Yeah, that's great. Death and life. Order and disorder. Is that what you said? That's great. Yes. 
red and gray. Love it. Those are great ones. Um, we can see hard and soft maybe is happening in here. Black and white. Yeah. Wet and dry, movement and stillness. Wonderful, all happening. Let's do another one, let's do another one. So this is a painting by my friend Jeremy Mangan, uh, who is up in the Seattle area. Um, if you can't see it because you're far away, we have this kind of northwest uh, alcove. I actually know where this is uh, because I've been to his cabin. This is like an alcove on an island in this uh, Puget Sound. But we have this kind of, uh, is it wharf? Is that right? A deck that's going all the way across. So it's, that doesn't really exist. He's playing with something here. But what do you, what kind of, what kind of uh, paradox are, are coming up in this image here? Calm and chaos, great. Sorry, reflection, yeah. Man-made in nature. <laughs> yeah, a path that can't be a path, it's too scary. A, a bridge and a block, do you say blockade? Yeah. Real and an image? Yeah. You mean like something that's real and then something that's made up, kind of? Oh, a reflection of the real, yeah. Okay, let's go to another one. Um, what, <laughs> what do you see, what, what do you see in this image? Same what? Same but different? Fat and skinny. They're like, hey, which one's fat? They're looking at you for saying that. <laughs> All right, we can move on from this one. I just, I, I just was w hoping that somebody in this room would go, oh, it's a paradox. That's all it was. Um, it's not even an art piece. Okay, let's go to the, <laughs> let's go to the next one. Um, that was just purely for my enjoyment of being here. Um, this is Pieta by uh, Michelangelo. Um, it's the Mother Mary holding the uh, deceased body of Christ, her son. What paradox, what seemingly opposing truths can you see in this one? Say again. Life and death, yes. Pain and peace. Love and mourning of a mother, yeah. Did you say dark and light? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God and man. Yeah, there's something uh, like uh, eternal and finite. Weight and light. In this story, um, in this Bible story from Mark 9, we have a, a story of a father who brings his possessed son to Jesus. And um, 
you know, there is a way to uh, exhume or exegete this passage, which is about deliverance ministries. Um, and I have read uh, books on this and I've heard people expound on this. And I have no authority to <laughs> talk about deliverance ministries uh, in this passage. But I think what uh, gets me, what is, it, what is exhumed out of me in this story is that this father says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief which is a paradox, belief and unbelief. The two, seem, two seemingly opposing truths existing at the same time. And I, I would like to enter into that paradox this morning with you. Um, a paradox is not necessarily something to solve as much as it is a mystery to enter into and be transformed by. And I want to talk about the paradox of prayer that we find in this. Like when, if you think about your prayer life or praying and stuff, do you ever find yourself going, well, if God already knows, then why am I saying anything, right? Has anybody ever had that feeling in prayer? Like as you're talking, as you're going through a list of things, being like, aren't you almighty? Don't you already know? Uh, why should I even say anything? I have uh, co-written a couple books on prayer with my friend Justin McRoberts. And um, on one of those projects, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. But before Jesus, what we call the Lord's Prayer, before Jesus gives this Lord's Prayer, he says to his disciples, he says, um, when you're in your closet, in the secret place, when you're having a conversation with God, you don't need to go on with all of these words like the pagans do, because your Father in heaven already knows everything you need before you ask. This then is then how you pray. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily a shopping list of things to, in order for us to go through as much as it's a remembrance or a practice of a reality that we live in. And I remember at this time in my life, I was like, your father already knows everything you need. And I was like, so what do you do? What do you pray? What do you pray? And I decided I was going to uh, try to practice the you already know. So what I did is I would wake up in the morning. I'd have to wake up early because I have kids. And so real early. And I'd make a cup of coffee and I'd sit in my living room in the dark. I think I eventually brought like a candle in to symbolize presence. But I would just sit from like 10 minutes to 50 minutes sometimes. And I would just repeat, you already know. So what do you want to talk about? And I would practice the you already know. Now, the thing is about the you already know is that sometimes you don't know that you already know. So I would be sitting there and like, uh-huh, just sitting there and be like, just in case, you know, you, I know you know, but I need to, we have rent due and I'm not sure how that's going to happen. And I have uh, these things, you know, I had to, sometimes I had to go through and remind myself that God already knew. I had to know that I was already known. Um, and then sometimes we would sit together in that silence, in that space, and, and it would transform me. When you sit in the space of you already know, once we get past like the needs, the shopping list of things, all of a sudden we begin navigating the, the doors in our heart, the hallways and rooms that some of them are open and we're, and we're vulnerable with, some we have closed and we don't talk about. And as I started practicing and being in the you already know, I found that Jesus would begin knocking on some of those doors, the doors of shame, the doors of weakness, the doors of my bad habits and my limitations and my sins and my real feelings about being here in this mysterious, mysterious life. And I had to let 
God enter into all of those places because guess what? God already knew. I just needed to let God know or God needed to let me know that he already knew and I needed to enter into that too. What is it like being here? Can we go to the next slide? What is it like to be here in the paradox and the mystery of life? What is it like to be a person of faith, to be a person who believes, but also a person who doesn't believe? And are you comfortable with facing your unbelief? Vulnerability is not necessarily our weaknesses, our limitations, as much as they are our relationship to our weaknesses and our limitations. How do you feel about having them? Is it something you hide from others? Is it something you hide from yourself? Or maybe could it become the way in which you connect to yourself, to each other, even the divine? I have, next slide, uh, I have a picture of my kids here. Yeah, they're cute. Uh, That's their survival skill. Um, This is from a little bit ago. They're a little older, you know, and they stink more and they don't want to shower. What is that phase where they don't want to shower? All I want to do is take like three showers a day. You know what I'm saying? Um, My oldest son with the orange hair there, uh, his name is Anders. Anders has a degenerative eye disease that there is no cure. It's hereditary. Um, It will kind of, he's gone through kind of the first process of diminishing eyesight. And then later on in his life, he will go through some others, potentially even blindness. And um, I I remember when I, when we found out that he had this, um, it's a weird thing being a parent because you're caught up in all the like, all the like things you have to do, making sure you're ready and lunches and packing and laundry and all of these things. And you can often get, you know, a little disassociated with your actual love for your own children. Like I remember I was in a bit of a season where I was like, I don't even know if I really like my kids, but uh, according to the law, I have to take care of them. And then we found out Uh, when we found out about this and there's this interesting thing as a human being is that I think each one of us have an internal like cistern or well where we're storing our tears and then something will happen to you and that gets cracked, cracked open and you can't stop from crying. You can't stop from weeping. And I remember I had like two days later, I was going on a trip and I had a layover in Denver and I, my whole flight, I was kind of tearing up, but then I was just walking through the Denver airport, just publicly weeping. And I bet people were like, whoa, I know the turbulence in Denver is bad, but that must have been a really bad flight. Right? I found my, and look, I, you know, for me as a person of faith, and I didn't really grow up in this tradition, but The paradox I find myself in is like, am I holding enough prayer meetings? Do I need to get like real charismatic? Look, I grew up Lutheran, which is like, you know, we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. He's like a bad uncle that doesn't come to holidays anymore. And like, should I become more charismatic? Should we get the flags and jazz hands and tambourines out and call upon the Spirit for a miraculous healing? Do I need to get on a plane with my son and go somewhere for a miraculous healing? And then on the other side, I have doctors who are saying, you know, they're doing this gene therapy. Right now, they're in the process of doing gene therapy on this very well in his life time, he might have a cure. There might be a solution for his problem. Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? If Jesus, if you can do anything, can you do anything? I believe, but help me with my unbelief. 
I am a dad with a son going, help me with my unbelief, but I believe too. I live in the paradox of life and faith. I don't know how sovereignty works. I really don't. Next slide. Next slide. I just know that God is really, 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 really detailed. And whenever I'm awakened to that intentionality, I'm filled with wonder. I wonder if the invitation to the mystery of paradox and the transformation that there is to pay attention to what's going on, is to enter in with eyes and an open heart that's seeing the detailedness. Uh, next slide. Father Richard Rohr, he said that spiritual truths cannot be known through observation, but by participation. So sovereignty, God's will, all of this stuff, it can't be something that we're going to know through books and reading. It's going to be something we uncover by participating in this life. And I want to give you like three practices of participation. Three practices of participation about entering into the mystery of paradox and letting it transform you. The first one is, is natural language. We have been influenced more than we know by the industrial revolution, which, which is when we began uh, making mechanics and machines and levers and buttons and all of this stuff. All of a sudden, we became very mechanical. We made things that could turn on and off. And so we'll often say, well, I'm wired that way, right? You've maybe said that yourself. Can I just say, you're not wired anyway. You don't have circuitry. You have systems and things like that, but you are a biological mammal. You are a sentient being on this world. You are an amalgamation of flesh and spirit. You are a mystery behold, so do not diminish yourself to an on and off switch. You are not a person who has belief or doesn't have belief. You are much more dynamic than that. It, has, it is in our tradition, and many people, women and men of faith, have adopted this. And I, I would ask you that you would adopt more of a naturalistic language. Let's go to the next slide. Maybe you could think of your faith as something that's seasonal. That you find yourself, yes, during the summer that is productive and there's lots of fruit, but then you find yourself going through something that is like a bit of an autumn, a fall, where things begin to die and go away without your control. Maybe you end up in a winter where it seems like nothing there is, is there anymore. There's nothing. I don't have anything. I'm sorry. I don't have belief. I don't know. It's, there's nothing there. But then in a way that you weren't aware of, seemingly on some random day, a green shoot appears. Some kind of foothold of faith. Some kind of like start of something new. Some kind of growth. Some kind of life. You are a person who is in the midst of a transformation. You are a person who is in a cycle of all kinds of life and death. You are a paradox of that which is being, uh, that which is coming into the world and that which is being formed. Your faith isn't all up to you, newsflash. It's not all up to you. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. You have agency, but God is also doing something to you. And maybe we can give grace to ourselves to the process of faith that is happening to us, that we find ourselves in. The second thing is, is an embodied response. Um, this is a picture I took in uh, southwest Oregon. 
um, when we just, well, I was vacationing with my family and some other friends, and we found that we heard the news, we got some text messages that our friend Ryan had died. Um, he had a random aneurysm on vacation with his family in front of his kids, and he passed in like a matter of hours. And um, I saw... I remember, I remember, I don't need to go into it. Um, I re, we were like doing this. Anyways, we were driving back to our place and there was a church sign. And somehow I drew, as I drove by, I looked back and this was on the back of the church sign. And I stopped and I took a picture of it because this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Not only because it's the shortest, um, it's great. You know, when I was in like Bible school and you had to write down a Bible verse, it's like, yes, this one. Um, but I am, I am a, like a, I am a little Christ Christian because of, uh, because of the resurrection. Yes. But I am, I'm mostly a Christian because of the shortest verse in the Bible. Because if there was a story about a God who cared about this world and a God who incarnated on this world. And if in that story, there was that God didn't end up at their friend's funeral crying like you and I have all done. I wouldn't believe it. It wouldn't be true. And the mystery of life is that we are born and we die and we are fragile and there isn't seemingly an answer to why all the fragility. It's just who we are. But in the story, in our Christian story, we see an embodied response. We see a God who participates in the sorrow of being human that all lives end. And it is, we can take a note from Jesus to go, we must participate as well. Our invitation is to participate as well. Let's go to the next slide. Just like in this painting, life is this kind of scary, uneasy journey. It is, there are times when you're walking this path where it feels very frightening. But this is the invitation that you've been given, your very life, this very life. This is the place we will find and know God. We are invited to participate. So, Wherever you find yourself today, in your life, in your body, in your relationships, in this time and culture and city and stuff, this is your invitation to know God, is to be present here. So we have this natural language, we're in cycles, we're invited to know God here, wherever we find ourselves. And lastly, take heart. I just want you to, uh, if you can, we'll do one more thing together. If you can, find your heartbeat. You can find it in your chest. You can find it in, you know, in your neck. If you know, you can find it on your wrist. And if you can't find your heartbeat, well, maybe you're a zombie. Or it's the end of Sixth Sense. You've already been dead. Um, find your heartbeat wherever you can. All of you, everybody. Nobody's left out of this one. Find your heartbeat when you can get it. Paul says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And when we find our heartbeat and we sit with it, we realize that the only thing that is, the only reason why we're here right now is because something that's happening inside of us that we're not in charge of. Right now, each one of us have a heart that's beating that we're not in charge of. All of this is happening right now because of something we're not in charge of. And we could take that heartbeat and move a little farther. We could, we could examine our breath. 
which we can control, but is mostly involuntary. And what happens with our breath is that we see that we're actually here because, again, of something that we're not in charge of. We could take it even bigger. We could think about this planet that we're on. We're uniquely on a planet that orbits the sun at a certain distance, which allows life to flourish, which we're not in charge of. All of us are here. Society and culture in this world is here because of something we're not in charge of. When we receive something that keeps us alive that we're not in charge of, we call that a grace. Our lives are filled with all kinds of graces. You're here, I'm here, because of so many things that we're not in charge of. What would it look like to spend some time noticing the graces? How many graces are we missing out on? How many graces have we not noticed? And there are physical graces and spiritual graces, all kinds of things. There's nothing that can keep you from the love of God. So when you feel like there is something that can, that something in your life comes about that you're like, I don't know what to do. You can just simply find your heartbeat and go, well, there are so many graces. How could I enter in to grace? Uh, throughout this season, we're going to give you a piece of artwork and a prayer for you to practice. And so as we this week enter into the practice of paradox and the practice of entering into two seemingly opposing truths, I believe or I don't believe, we gave you a prayer. We're going to give you a prayer and an image. And as I close, and I'm going to invite the band up here to give us a chance to respond musically, but I want you to just look at this image. This is the Alpha and the Omega. The Apostle Paul again says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is called, I made this image, it's called author and perfecter. And we see this life happening, its rootedness, its offerings of sun and rain, all of these things. And that is a mystery to enter into. And so I want to offer you as an, ex, this is an excavation tool. What art, one of the great things that art is, is it's an excavation tool. It helps uncover and excavate what's going on in you. And this is a gift to you for this week to meditate on, to go, what are the places I feel rooted or disrooted? What are the places, am I in sunshine, am I in rain? What are all the offerings? Where are all the graces? And how do I deal with my belief and my unbelief? And we give this to you. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.